BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time for the Children's Hour, stories about Ivanka, Jared, Don Jr., and little Eric. Boy, did those kids get in trouble this year. For our Children's Hour year in review, we turn, of course, to Amy Willens. She's former Jerusalem correspondent for The New Yorker, a longtime contributing editor at The Nation, best known for her work on Haiti, and a 2020 Guggenheim Fellow. Amy, welcome back. Thank you, John. 2020 began with Don Jr.'s book Triggered on the bestseller list. He joins a family of authors. His mother, Ivana, wrote one. His sister wrote a couple. And of course, his father is listed as the author of a monster bestseller, Trump Art of the Deal. Family of writers. It's wonderful. We think of Martin Amos and Kingsley Amos. We think of Alexander Coburn and Claude Coburn, and now we have Don Jr. and Donald Trump. Aren't we lucky? <laughs> the, litera- the literati at the top. That's what I like to say. Well, Don Jr.'s book, Triggered, has the subtitle, How the Left Wants to Silence Us, which makes it one of the few books whose subtitle was disproved almost as soon as the book was published. It was disproved on the author's book tour, Please explain. So Don Jr. went to UCLA and uh, his book event was um, sponsored by a right-wing uh, campus group that did not uh, want to have a Q&A because they knew <laughs> that although they are right-wing, there was a further right-wing group or a bunch of groups who wanted to uh, do what people often do at book talks, which is make speeches during the Q&A thing. And they were going to say all sorts of horrifying things and embarrass Don Jr. because they feel that the these these really fringe right-wingers, although fringe may not be the right word anymore, we're going to spew, uh, you know, white, straight, uh, self-identifying as Christian, anti-immigration, homophobic, racist, anti-Semitic, junk at Don Jr. And that's not really how he wanted to um, present his book. So in in effect, he was silenced by a right-wing group. His book about being silenced by the left, he was silenced by the right. And he was really surprised. I mean, when you watch the video, it's as if he doesn't 
really know that this is the right wing trying to shut him down. He thinks it's the left wing and he lectures them. And then girlfriend Kimberly Guilfoyle gets up on her high horse. She lectures them, says, your parents won't be very proud of you, will they? As if they were little libtards, which they highly were not. It was a great moment of irony. But of course, the Trump family doesn't understand irony. So And what was scheduled to be a two-hour event, Don left the stage after about a half an hour and just called it quits. He had to go. He was silenced. I'm so glad. Then the COVID hit, and in February, sort of very early in, in the pandemic, Don Jr. said, the Democrats want millions to die from the coronavirus. That was sort of provocative. That's been an ongoing sort of argument. (laughs) And the argument has always been they want millions understood Trump supporters, millions of Trump supporters to die. (laughs) But of course, that's not how it worked. Cities were hit hardest at the beginning. That's where where the uh, Democratic strongholds are. And, but this has been an ongoing uh, Trump trope. That's a good thing, a Trump trope. The younger generation has played quite a role in kind of spinning what the virus should mean to the Trump base. Don said this, the Democrats want to kill millions with this virus. And then Eric Trump suggested later on that the Democrats created the virus specifically to prevent Donald Trump from holding his electoral rallies. But of course, it didn't prevent a guy like Donald Trump from holding electoral rallies. First of all, he was standing more than six feet away from everybody at the rally, whereas everybody else at the rally who had come to love him were standing all together so that they could get sick. And then in April, when we were all locked down, Jared was put in charge of the administration's virus response. Huge job. What were his responsibilities? Well, he had to hand out um, contracts to companies to make PPEs, to make masks, to make ventilators. But he, instead of like competing them and doing them really fast and brilliantly, he handed them out to cronies. He hired young people who studied finance to run the response to the coronavirus instead of doctors, epidemiologists, and people who understood fast industrial uh, switches. And then he also shunned responsible and trusted health companies offers of, uh, you know, virus, um, epidemiology, and also the uh, ventilators. And so we were left buying ventilators from China in the end. And to pursue that end of buying ventilators and other PPE, uh, Jared created something called Project Airbridge. How did Project Airbridge work? Project Airbridge enlisted private companies whose uh, names or which entities were not revealed by the Trump administration to make and bring in ventilators. And it was unclear who was going to get the money, but it was, you know, the U.S. budget that was paying for this without any transparency on who was getting the money. So, of course, one assumes uh, cronies and friends. And how successful was Project Airbridge and Jared's other uh, efforts to produce and distribute PPE to the states? It was basically a hugely inadequate a response that probably cost the lives not only of many patients, but of many frontline emergency medical responders, doctors, and nurses, because they didn't have the proper uh, self-protective equipment. Jared was too busy getting Morocco to agree to peace with Israel 
to manage to get ventilators to hospitals in the United States. So that was part of the disaster of the Trump administration's virus response, along with all of Trump himself, you know, discouraging people from wearing masks. And then the Trump kids had various other events that brought them into the news. We had the memorable day that Ivanka carried the Bible across Lafayette Square. Heck of a story. Remind us of that one. So that was the day that there were protesters outside and Trump decided to tear gas them. They were perfectly peaceful. Trump decided to tear gas them. And then he walked across Lafayette Square to St. John's Church, unbeknownst to St. John's Church, which is a very anti-Trump church. And Ivanka followed him in her outfit with her giant white designer bag that apparently cost around $1,500. And out of the giant white designer bag, she plucked a, a tiny little Bible and gave it to him. And there's a very funny meme um, on social media that shows Trump looking at the Bible as though he's never seen one before, <laughs> inspecting it as though maybe he could go on a date with it and then opening it up and holding it very seriously. And Trump was asked by the, by the press assembled, is that your Bible, sir? And what was his answer? That is a Bible. But from the way he looks at it, at it online, it, it looks like maybe he wasn't sure even if it was a Bible or what is a Bible. <laughs> and was it the Old Testament? I'm not sure that an Orthodox Jewish family is supposed to have a Christian Bible in their house or anywhere on their persons. And then there were a bunch of books about and by members of the Trump family. The most notable was Trump's niece, Mary Trump who published a book called Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. Well, first tell us about Mary Trump. Who exactly is she? So Mary Trump is the daughter of Fred Trump Jr. Fred Trump Jr. is the oldest and unsuccessful son of Fred Trump, the patriarch of the Trump family. He had a lot of problems. He wasn't sure he wanted to go into the family business. Donald Trump was always like right behind him. I'll go into the family business, Dad. I'll. And, uh, and he became an alcoholic. And then he was sort of very ill for a long time. And then he was locked out of the family will with the collusion of his siblings. Um, and, and Mary, his daughter, therefore, was locked out of that will. But what she has is a fabulous amount of just like firsthand family knowledge about how the family operated and, and about Donald Trump bullying and being bullied. And it's just a, it's a really interesting book. And she also has a uh, PhD in clinical psychology, which I guess makes her a doctor like Jill Biden. <laughs> um, so most of this story is about how the patriarch crushed his oldest son, who then died miserably an alcoholic, and the number two son happily usurped his place. But the story of Donald Trump's childhood isn't such a happy one either, since his mother was hospitalized for like a year when he was, when the next kid was, after the next kid was born. So he was basically without his mother at what we all now know as a crucial developmental stage not only without his mother, but his father was around and the father was not a great parent. And eventually Donald Trump was sent off to military school. And um, Mary tells the story really well of how Donald Trump's dad would go up and visit him every weekend. 
<laughs> but it wasn't to be nice or because he cared. It was to monitor him and make sure he was doing what needed to be done to at least graduate from it so he could then get him into his next school. And so he became the son his father wanted. And what kind of son was that? Fred Trump was a very tough businessman and uh, wheeler dealer of not entirely uh, upstanding kind. And uh, I think Donald really wanted wanted to do that, according to Mary, and and felt that that was the the proper behavior for someone who wanted to succeed in the world. He couldn't understand any other way of succeeding in the world. He had seen his brother go down by being kind of just a little too nice and having separate ambitions and and dividing himself from the father. So Donald went sort of whole hog to preserve, you know, to preserve himself if you want to be sympathetic or because he was that kind of creature if you don't want to be so sympathetic. And then came the Republican National Convention where almost all the all the Trumps were present some of them gave speeches. Some of them gave notable speeches. The most notable one really was Kimberly Guilfoyle, the girlfriend of Don Jr. Remind us what her RNC speech was like. When you watch it, you realize that they probably gave it to her because she was most able to speak to the base without any, without any embarrassment or shame. And she didn't have to appeal to anyone else. And so she just went for it. She uh, shrieks anti-Semitic, homophobic, homophobic dog whistles, like her reference to cosmopolitan elites. I mean, a term we haven't heard since Stalin left office, basically. <laughs> you know, it's not a term she grew up with. She she raved like Mussolini. She's She appeared in a red sheath that most reminded me of Mephistopheles when it didn't remind me of Kim Kardashian. And she just <laughs> went on a, a six and a half minute spew that was like, unlike anything else at what was a convention that was unlike anything else. So people began speculating that, well, Kimberly Guilfoyle seems to have some kind of ambitions to make it as an independent Republican voice, you know, speaking to the base. But then uh, The New Yorker published a devastating piece by Jane Mayer about Kimberly Guilfoyle and why she left Fox News. What did Jane Mayer have to say about that? Well, so if you looked at Kim's Wikipedia page, I don't know what it says now, but if you looked at it a, a while before the Jane Mayer piece came out, it said she left Fox News to work on the Trump campaign. But actually she was let go because... Uh, um, one of her assistants at Fox charged her with uh, sexual harassment, including some very bizarre behaviors. And what happened in the end was Fox reportedly paid Guilfoyle's assistant more than $4 million to stop her from bringing charges against Kimberly. So according to the New Yorker piece, may I go on, John? Please. A little (laughs) salacious in a family show, but I'm going to read it anyway. The New Yorker piece said that the assistant said she was frequently required to work at Guilfoyle's New York apartment while the Fox host displayed herself naked and was shown, and the girl was shown photographs of the genitalia of men with whom Guilfoyle had had sexual relations. That's in the New Yorker. The draft complaint also alleged that Guilfoyle spoke incessantly and luridly about her sex life. And on one occasion, demanded a massage of her bare thighs. It was that kind of career-ending piece in in a normal world. We can never say for sure. And then very late in the year, 
suddenly we learned that some another person, Laura Trump, was going to run for Senate in North Carolina in two years when a Republican seat uh, opens up. Who is Laura Trump? Who even knew about <laughs> Laura Trump? Even even Donald Trump said to her once, oh, wait, like you're Eric's wife? I couldn't even pick you out of a lineup. I couldn't pick you out of a lineup. This is his daughter-in-law, the mother of his grandchildren. And he says, I couldn't pick her out of a lineup. She's um, 38. She's like a cookie cutter type of Trump female, which may be why he couldn't pick her out of a lineup. She looks like everybody else in the lineup. (laughs) Um, She's kind of interesting. She was a, a pastry chef before she moved to CBS Inside Edition. You explained that career leap to me, John. I'm not really sure. And then she later came on to the Trump presidential campaign. She was already going out with Eric or no, she was already married to Eric. Um, And she did something. She hosted something called Real News Updates, which, of course, it's Trump world, which is like Orwell world. So if it says real news updates, you know, they're not real news. That's that's the clue. Um, And she was also a regular guest on Fox News. She essentially became a spokesperson for Trump. Well, it'll be pretty interesting if Laura Trump becomes the first person of the generation of the children to run for office, because we always thought Don Jr. was going to be the first. Or Ivanka. Have we forgotten Ivanka? Please. You would have thought that the blood children, since this is, of course, a man, Donald Trump Sr., who believes in blood and dynasty and uh, royalty and monarchy and authority, you would think that only the blood children would be eligible to inherit the mantle. But apparently, Laura Trump has a different idea about that. She's willing to inherit the mantle, even if it's not hers. Finally, last time you and I talked, I asked you whether Ivanka and Jared would actually be able to move back to Manhattan. Would they ever eat lunch in that town again? I asked. We have news updates about that. They're not going back to New York. <laughs> they're moving to Miami. Now, what's that going to be like? Well, first of all, they're not moving to a house. They bought a piece of land. So we don't know where they're going to stay between January 20th and when their giant, no doubt, McMansion on Billionaire's Row in Miami is built. Even if you're buying a $30 million lot on a private island with special security, you can't be sure you're going to build your house. You can't know that's what the future will bring. But that's a big, heavy investment that they're making in this piece of land. It's not exactly the kind of move that you want to make if you're going to then declare that you are the next leader of the people. Amy Willens, with our Children's Watch update for the end of 2020, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.